This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation. Mystery Hour with James O'Brien. Call 0345 6060973. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Mystery Hour with James O'Brien on LBC. Five minutes after 12, a very good afternoon indeed to you. This is your weekly opportunity to achieve a source of satisfaction not available anywhere else on the airwaves. We're talking about a, a form of intellectual and spiritual satisfaction. You have a hole in your life. There is a gap in your knowledge. Well, we're here to fill it. Whatever that gap may be, whether it's built upon a who or a why or a where or a when, a whither or whence, or possibly even a wherefore, somebody listening to this programme will know the answer. They will have the key to knowledge that you currently lack. Um, I, I'm trying to find new ways to introduce Mystery Hour every week. I'm not sure I'm succeeding. 0345 is the number that you need if you have a question that needs answering. Obviously, it has to be a question that, that admits an answer. I, I, you can't ask me about world peace or, or, or you know, where's all the money gone? Those <laughs> the great unanswerable questions of our time. Uh, it has to be something like, a, why do we do this? Where does that come from? Who does that? The only rules are, really, that you can't be boring and you can't be repetitious. Repetition is our responsibility. It's up to us to kind of remember whether we've dealt with a question relatively recently. And Michael and Jess, who are answering the telephones for you this afternoon, will, in Jess's case, politely, in Michael's case maybe not quite so politely, invite you to move along should you ring in with a question that has been recently dealt with. Similarly with dullness, um, Jess will very politely invite you to move on because the question is not something that is necessarily quite suitable. Michael will quite probably tell you that it's the most boring thing he's ever heard in his life and please never darken the door of the studio again. Six minutes after 12 is the time Mr. Harris upon us. If you hear somebody else ask a question to which you happen to know the answer, then you are... Uh, duty bound to ring in with it. The number remains the same. 03456060973 is the number that you need. Um, should we crack on? I think we've pretty much laid everything out, haven't I? I keep forgetting to involve Twitter, for which I apologise. Hashtag Twitter Mystery Hour. And I bet this week no one's submitted any, but I will check. Uh, in the course of this hour for people who listen only to the podcast, the remarkably popular podcast, actually. Last time I checked the numbers. Um, but don't listen live. I've decided not to hold it against you and be hurt that you only listen to Mr. Hour and ignore the other 14 hours of non-award-winning broadcasting that I submit for your delectation every single week. I'm not going to get bitter and upset about that. I'm going to properly serve your needs by including one question at least this week that has been submitted via Twitter prior to uh, opening the shop today. Let's start in Sidcup. Charles is there. Charles, what is your question? Hello, James. Hello. Um, it's about Tourette. And I've always wondered this for a long time. Why are people with Tourette's, why are people that feel compelled to say something nice, like fluffy kittens or candy floss or something nice? Why is the compulsion always something to shock and... It, it's not always. It's, it's, I've, I've known people with Tourette's and they can come out with completely random things like chocolate biscuits. They really can. Yes, there was, a, there was a fascinating documentary about it on another radio station, and, and they interviewed a couple. There was one woman in particular who was so, it was really powerful, powerful radio, because it was live, and she couldn't help herself, but they knew that she wouldn't swear because that wasn't the nature of her version of Tourette's. I think, I think there's a, you know, like uncomfortable thoughts. They're an articulation of something that, that you don't want in your mind, so it will often be 
stuff that is unpleasant when articulated, but it doesn't actually have to be. And I, and I only know that from listening to the radio and hearing someone with Tourette's not go down the route that, like you, I previously thought all Tourette's people do go down. Oh, interesting. It There's is. one guy in my area, and he, um, when he sees me, he calls me the N-word. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you sure he's got yeah. Tourette's and not just a good case of racism? <laughs> No, 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 I'm, uh, I'm, I'm brown. I'm not what typically called, but I mean, in the past, years and years ago, yeah, people used to use the word a lot. So, but, 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 but that will be because it's outrageous and he can't control himself and he knows it's wrong. And, and that, that, that's an element of the condition, but it's not an exclusive element. There was a bloke in Worcester whose nickname, I can't say it in full, because half of what he always used to say was the F word, but the other half was chicken. So he used to walk around saying either effing or chicken. And obviously if he's walking around saying chicken, that's not offensive. But if he's having an F-word day, it's deeply offensive. It could work for KFC, couldn't it? <laughs> KFC, yes, he could. I'm having a round of applause, though, before we forget. Thank you very much. That's a sound you'll hear when somebody successfully answers a mystery on Mystery Hour. Ideally, it won't be me getting all of them, but you never know. Lawrence is in Isha. Lawrence, question or answer? Question, please, James. Good afternoon to you. Hello, Lawrence. Carry on. Um... I know how my sat-nav works in my car, because it's GPS. The question is, we were driving from Isha to Guildford, and it directed me around Guildford because there was a traffic jam there. How does my sat-nav know there's a, there's a traffic jam 25 miles away? How does your what know? How does my sat-nav... Sat? What does the sat stand for? What does sat stand for? Um, satellite navigation. What navigation? Satellite navigation. What's a satellite? It's something that orbits the Earth. Yeah? Doing what? It monitors the GPS signals coming from individuals. Not, not exclusively. Well, no, OK, but let's say in this case they're to do with, they're to do with vehicles. Yes. So how does it know... Satellites. There's a traffic jam. Satellites. Satellites. Yes, but they have to have GPS in their vehicles. No, they don't. What do you mean? It takes photographs? Yeah. Okay, if you say so. All right, I'm going on a bit of a limb here, Lawrence. Wait a second, what time is it? Is it time for the travel news yet? No, I can't, can't no, go. Cool. No, we no. could go to the travel earlier and get an answer from them. But we've got cameras all over the shop. That's how our travel news is so comprehensive and wonderful. It doesn't take a massive leap of imagination to see that the data that we're observing through cameras gets put into the, um, uh, the sat-nav device that you've got on your dashboard as you make except, your way from Isha to Guildford. Go on. I hate to drag this out, oh. but except that the route it took me through the Surrey Hills, believe me, there are no cameras there. All right, all. then. OK. You, yeah, I was trying to... Because I, I, I mean, I, I'm veering towards excluding this question on the grounds of dullness, but seeing yeah, as you've made it into... You, no, no, I know it's motoring, but it's not motoring. I'm, I'm going down the interplanetary route rather than the... <laughs> <laughs> rather than all the right. South Circular. So how does a sat-nav know? where the traffic jams are. And take me through the weirdest Surrey Hills lanes. No, that's just maps. That's not... No, you can, that's just how the sat-navs work. You can't have that. We're only focusing on the traffic jams, not the lanes of Surrey. Right? OK. okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. All right, thank you. 12-12 is the time. How does, a sat, how does Lawrence's sat-nav know where the traffic jams are? 0345 is the number that you need. Ty is in Brentwood. Question or answer, Ty? 
James. Carry on. And the question is, hey, why is a circle made up of 360 degrees? Why, why, why wouldn't... Phase? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why they... Why is it calculate 360 degrees? Oh, it'd be, degree, it'd be like the Egyptians. 100. The Greeks or the Egyptians, won't it? Because it, you'd, like you say, why isn't it a nice round number? It was a great... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a great April Fool's years ago on Terry Wogan when they said that the time was going metric and they were going to be 100 minutes in an hour now. My, 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 my mate was gutted because he just got a digital watch for his seventh birthday and he thought it was going to become completely... <laughs> 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 completely redundant and obsolete overnight. Yeah, you just... I, I'm just waffling because I'm waiting for the answer to drop into my head. I'm sure I knew this. I thought that, James, but... Uh... <laughs> Not that Ty. Nothing happening. I don't know about you, mate, but I'm drawing the mother of all blanks on this one. So it's on the board. Why? It's on the board, Ty. <laughs> it's on the board. Why are there 360 <laughs> degrees in a circle? Why not a more manageable? Well, maybe 360 is really manageable, but at first... Gl- yeah, you break down 100, you go to 25, into quarters, and then you're into fractions after that 360 break it down to 180 to 90 to 45 i don't know we'll find out thank you ty joe is in richmond joe question or answer question please James. carry on why knives and forks <laughs> weighted yeah. at the handle every time i pick up my empty plate after i finish my food my knife or my fork just flies off of the plate because obviously you're resting it and the handle's slightly over the edge of the plate yeah and it's weighted so it just falls off why is it not weighted at the actual fork end so that it just stays there. I think because they're designed more with eating in mind than they are with clearing the table, clearing your plates in mind, aren't they? But even in general, just sort of like, you know, I can just gently put my fork down and it'll just flop off. Whereas if it was just heavy at the actual fork end, I mean, it'd just be better all round. I reckon it'd look better just... It's an interesting enthusiasm that you've developed for differently weighted cutlery. Yeah, because no, it's something that really annoys me. Why does it really annoy you? When you pick your plate up, why don't you just fold your thumb over the edge of the cutlery as you take it into the kitchen and stick it in the oh, dishwasher? Because I'm just a really clumsy person, and this is just a long list of things that I do constantly. Well, don't leave it hanging off the edge of the plate, then. Push <laughs> it into the middle. No, you are right. But, yeah, why are knives and forks one heavy one. at the handle instead of at the head? Yeah. I, I don't know, actually. I presume it, it's easier to eat that way, but we need to speak to a, I don't know, a cutlery expert or something, don't we? Yeah, you do. Maybe someone can point me out where I can buy some that is heavy at the actual. No, but it, they'll just fly off the other side of the plate, you prune. It's not going to save you from cutting. It won't stay there. It's not, unless, not unless it weighs about a flipping kilo or something. You've got the biggest knife and fork in the world and they smash your plate every time you pop them down at the end of your meal. There's no, there's no way you can design cutlery so that it doesn't slide off a plate when you pick it up against the balance. No, but if, it, if the handle the handle comes to be hang slightly over the edge, then when you move the plate, what? I mean, you would just stay there. <laughs> oh, oh, all right, I'll see what I can do. Get an answer to that one. I'll give you the money myself. It's twelve fifteen. After twelve, mystery hour is upon us. What would you like to know? Or indeed, can you help somebody else out of a hole? We shall find out. At the moment, we're trying to find out where there are 360 degrees in a circle, why cutlery is weighted at the handle end rather than the business end, and did, is that it? We do, did I do the other one? I don't know. We'll find out. Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three. Richard's in Uckfield. Richard, question or answer? Uh, answer, James. 360 degrees in a circle. Bring it on. Um, I think it stems back to Nicholas Copernicus, who um, had something to do with astrology and health. Mate, this hasn't started well, Richard. No? I think it's something to do with a bloke called Copernicus who had something to do with <laughs> astrology. 
Right, first uh, up, astrology is all Capricorn and Aries. It's, you mean astronomy? Astronomy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 360 degrees is relative to time. Um, 60 seconds in a, a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, tw uh, 24 hours in a day. Multiply that up, you get 3,600 seconds in a day, and then divide that by um, 10 or whatever it is, and one degree equals one minute. It's basically in a nutshell. I, 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 listen, it's possible that you've just exposed me to some coruscating genius and that I am too stupid and blinkered to see it. It's possible that that's happened. No, it's, it's definite. 60 minutes in an hour? Six, but that was six a human decision. That was a human decision anyway. The, rotation, not, not... the rotation of a day is, is 24 hours, yes? Yeah, but only only because we invented hours. It could have been a hundred yeah, walks. It could have been a hundred yeah, quarks. We also invented 360 degrees in, in a circle. I think you're probably almost certainly right that there's a link between time and circles in terms of, in terms of the unit being... Well, no, actually, a 1 360th. Six one, times six, um, 60. It, it all goes back to navigation. Who says there's 360,000 seconds in a day? Where does that come from? 60, um, 60 times 60. 60 seconds. Times, 60, times 60, 60 times 60 times 24? Yeah. Well, that's not going to be 360, is it? Um, it's not 360, no. Um, I'm driving at the moment, I can't... I Mate, there's no that. way I can give you a round of applause for this. You, for, you, for, you, astrology, and you got your sums wrong as well. Well, it, I haven't got a calculator with me to do, to do the 24 hours... Well, you don't. It's 3,600 times 24, right? So, 0, right. 0, 24, carry 2, 12, 14, 1,000... Yeah, it's nowhere near what you said. I do know that one degree is, uh, <laughs> is, is a minute, though. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, drive carefully. It's 12.23, John's in Cranbrook. John, question or answer? A question. Carry on, John. Well, um, yeah, I've, I've learned from school um, for years that when you go down to sand, it was originally pebbles that the, the sea had actually ground down over thousands of years. Well, I went to the Isle of Wight and I found a beach that one half of it was pebbles <laughs> and one half sand. And so what I want to know is what caused the sea to do one half and not the other? Because, there, you know, obviously there's no bakers, there's nothing in its way. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that, it, it might be that the stones were brought in from somewhere else or, or, or the way the sea operates on that particular bit of coastline, the bits where the sand was has a different sort of eddying process, <laughs> a different erosion <laughs> process. Or, or it, it could just be time. I mean, all sand was pebbles once, all pebbles were rocks once, all rocks were cliffs, all cliffs were part of the Earth's crust. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, I don't know if it's a mystery. Well, they, they weren't brought in because even if you go into the sea, you could feel the Get right. Well, they were harder then. They, they, they were harder than the stuff that had been turned into sand. Right, but it's the same. It was one single beach, so you know. Yeah, but there's lots of different rock, isn't there? You've seen. I mean, you've seen that bit of the Isle of Wight where all they've got all the multicoloured sand. There's all different rocks under. So, some, you know, when you're on a beach, and it's all sand, and then there's a whopping great rock in the middle of it. Yeah. Because as the, yeah, as the yeah. beach has been eroded over the years, that big rock that now stands in the middle of the beach was harder than all the earth and, and, and rock surrounding it. So it went down. It's just different yeah, hardness of, of pebbles, John. Well, I, I don't quite get it because it was just one beach. 
Um, and I would have thought if it was hardness, it, all the pebbles would have been the same hardness across the whole thing. Why would they have been? Well, I don't know. I just get, guess that. And it just, but I've just told you about the cliff on the Isle of Wight where it's all different colours. There's loads of different rocks uh, under the surface. Right, yeah. OK, well, I, I, I sort of get that, but I still don't get why it, it hasn't eroded one lot. Because um, it's harder! <laughs> OK. Well, uh, if you're going to give that to me, that's fine, but I would like a better answer. Do we, is, how I, can you have better than correct? <laughs> I still uh, I, I still don't, don't get it, because there were, I said there was, uh, you know, uh, I, pebbles of all pebbles, whether they're, they're on the same beach. That... <laughs> You know, uh, you All know. right, okay, let me let me try it a different way, okay? Put your hands out. Okay. Put your hands out. Up, yeah, okay. Right? Here's a lump of sandstone. All right, keep your hands out. Ready? Here's a lump of yeah. granite. Ready? Yeah. Here's, here's a lump of, of, of cooled volcanic lava. All right? Yeah. Here is, I'm just going to give you one more lump. Here is a lump of, here's a lump of, oh, I don't know, brick. Okay? Okay, yeah. All right, now put them all in a bucket. Yeah, OK, yeah, yeah. P put your boots on. Yeah, yeah. You got I your boots on? Well, I would do, yeah. Yeah, jump in the bucket. Yeah. Right, jump up and down. Yeah. Yeah, right, gr gr grind your feet. Yeah. OK? Yeah. Now come back to me in a million years. Uh, Alan is in Ashford. Alan, question or answer? It's an answer. Carry on. Uh, Staten Abs. And why it diverted around how it actually works. Yes, go on. There's two or three different methods of tra uh, traffic monitoring that the, the country uses. The, the little lamp green, and I think they're blue as well. It used to be dated back to traffic master system. Yes. That, uh, that um, uh, judges the, the, the flow of the traffic in certain places, and then that's linked to um, phones, etc., etc., which then give out signals to tell sat now that there's a traffic jam there. It's also done by mobile phones. If you're in a place where you haven't got... Um, traffic sensing, um, traffic uh, telephone masts pick up people's phones and if they actually stand still in a certain place for a long time. Well, I don't, what, what was Lawrence confused about then? Does he not realise that his sat-nav has a sort of reception capability yeah, on it? Yeah, yeah, because he's obviously got a modern one, yeah. which has got the traffic system in it. I've got a really old one that doesn't do that, but my phone does. If I go onto the maps of my phone... Yeah, it, it's, it's getting updates all the time, yeah, and, and you can see it in the, in the Volvo. I get little red arrows on the sat-nav where they might, and it comes up and says, we've recalibrated your journey. It will yeah, take... Exactly, and because of, yeah, well, my phone does the same. If I just look at a map, I can actually see where, the, where there's red. And so, so, so just briefly, in, in, in sort of layman's terms... Who is sending the message to your phone? That, they're, all, they're all connected. It's all connected via the, like the traffic master system. I don't know if I can let you get away with just saying it's the traffic master system, James. Well, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a system that I used to use. I, can't, I don't know what the modern-day term of it is. Oh, uh, you, see, you can't just say it's the traffic master system. That's like the sort of answer I give my seven-year-old. That was his name. It was called what, Oh, was master. it? OK. It's not and just it's a how, description. That's how, um, right, years ago... Um, radio stations, etc., etc., used to get their information about traffic jams. But now, obviously, with mobile phones 
and people phoning in and telling people where it is. Right, I'm giving you a round of applause, and we're closing down this question now, because we're not getting any calls about anything else, and it's completely messing up the switchboard. Well played, Alan. If there's any room for improvement on that, send me a text. All right, I need my phone lines back. Do not call me about... I know, I told you, I told you not to take questions about motoring-related issues. I've been saying it for seven or eight years, and we took a question about a motoring-related issue, and we've been swimming in treacle ever since. You think I make this up for my own amusement? It's ridiculous, honestly. Um, can we check on Alan? How, how's he getting on with his bucket full of stones? Do we, do, is, is he all right? Okay, make sure he's all right. I don't want him getting a hernia or even a blister. You're listening to James O'Brien on LBC. Why are there 360 degrees in a circle? Why is cutlery weighted at the handle end rather than the business end? And why are some beaches made of pebbles and sand? Are we, are we leaving that on, or is my question was it considered satisfactorily answered? I don't know. Phone lines are open. Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three. We need, please, to stop taking calls about sat nav related issues. There is a reason why uh, we generally steer clear of such matters. Um, but if you can answer either of the questions that are still on the board, oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three is the number that you need. That three hundred and sixty degree one, I know the answer to, but I can't quite. You know, when you've got it just within reach, but you can't quite essay it. You can't quite get it off the tip of your tongue. Mystery Hour with James O'Brien on LBC. 33 minutes after 12. We have questions about circles and cutlery. Um, and a few more. Room for a few more as well. If, you, if you'd like to submit one yourself, you know what to do. Ivor is in Mitcham. Hello, Ivor. Hello, James. All right, mate. Question James, of us. Ca- carry on. Excellent. <laughs> the question is, um, what is the origins of um, Spick and Spence? You know when you say something firm, clean as spick and span? Yeah, spick and span. What is the origin of that? Spick and span. Sounds a bit military, doesn't it? It does. Spick and span. I was speaking to a a Dutch friend of mine. Oh, yeah. And um, he was saying to me that um, he was told years ago of a couple of um, burglars. And when they burgled a property, they'd literally take everything, and their nicknames were spick and span. But... If that is if that is the answer, if that's the answer, I, I will walk naked. No, I won't, because it will be if I say that out loud. But there's two Dutch burglars, one called Spick, the other called Span, and that's where the figure of speech comes from. That's what I was told, but I'm doubtful of that. <laughs> Makes two of us, either. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you never know. Spick and Span, Spick and Span. Mm. I don't know. When, next time you're talking to your Dutch friend... Yeah. Can you ask him what hunky-dory means? Because that was on last week. We didn't get an answer to it. And and someone told me, I think, you know, it was a taxi driver, told me um, that it's Dutch. He reckons it had a Dutch origin. He couldn't remember why he thought that, but he was sure it had something to do with the Dutch origin. You know, I'm going to give him a call as soon as I get off the phone to you. Will you do that? And, And if he tells you that it's because there were once two really, really nice people, one of them was called Hunky and the other one was called Dory, tell him to jog on, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Don't want that as the answer. There were two burglars. One guy, and they used to uh, bring all the stolen goods back to the victim, and they'd say, hunky, d- no. Spick and span. We only do one phrase a week, by the way. We only do one origins of. Um, otherwise, we could devote a whole show to it, which we might do one day. Phil's in Bristol. Phil, question or answer? Uh, answer, mate. Um, well, well, the 360 degrees. Yeah. Um, well, they, it, you were right, cause, well, almost right. You, the first thing you said was something about Egyptians. It was actually the Sumerians. Ah, of course. Um, yeah, well, in those, back then, they used to think the sun went round the world. Yes. And they studied the planets and other things for all their beliefs. And they built obelisks, and they used to study the shadow, and it took 360 days for the sun's shadow to be in the right place again. So yeah, they, they did the 360, 
And that gave them their circle. But what they didn't know was the sun wasn't going around us. We were going around that. But then, and I have to give credit, this is National Geographic from a couple of years ago. I'm not a professor. But I remember this because it lodged in my mind that we today are using stuff that is 4,000 years old. And because the, because the, the Egyptians, they chopped the days into 24 hours, into 24 hours. But sometimes, in different parts of the year, their hours were longer. They, they had longer bits of hours in other parts of the years. And the ancient Babylonians did had a thing about 60, and they chopped the hours into 60. I've, I don't remember why they had the thing about 60, but they had a base, I think they call it a base number in their belief, and 60 was why. Is it, is it, yes, uh, I think it's got something to do with divisibility, like the, 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 the lowest number into what, into, in, into which lots of other numbers will go. So if you're breaking well, it down into units, you're much better off with 360 than you are with 100. Yeah. You see, we, we metric today, we could have 100 minutes in, in an hour we and could. we could have 100 degrees in a circle. Yeah. Uh, but, but I just think that we're so clever. We're wandering all over the universe in spaceships and things and all that now, and we're still using, <laughs> we're still chopping. Fantastic, up. isn't it? Because the Sumerians got a bit com- got confused yeah. about interplanet planetary movements yeah. and orbits. I love this. Yeah. Qualifications? I watch a lot of telly. Uh, no, subscribe to National Geographic. Oh, the magazine. There you go. That's me showing my age. I thought you meant. I mean, showing how young I am. I thought you meant the television program. <laughs> of course, you mean the magazines. Great work. Do you no. still subscribe to it? Do you still take it? Yeah, I do. Well, I live on Millori all week, you see. I've spoken to you before. I know you have. And, uh, uh, I so just, for the, for the, for the, for the hours in the day where you can't have me on the radio, you like to get your intellectual sustenance from National Geographic. Absolutely, yes. Not while driving, though, Phil. No, 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 I, no. I, no Round of applause for Philip. Round of applause for Philip. Well played. Uh, Mike's in Leechdale. Leechlade, I beg your pardon. Is that in the Cotswold? Uh, it is, and yeah. it's Lechlade. Lechlade, yes. <laughs> Leech would have two E's in it. No, 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 but mate, what do you mean? I don't write it down. Did I answer the phone and ask you where you were calling from? <laughs> Why is everyone having a go at me today? I'm not. Go on. I'm quest- just pointing out a fact. Question, you're not pointing out a fact. I am a journalist, and I didn't write down where you... I'm reading what's written in front of me, Michael. No, oh, we'll have a go at them, then. I will. Lechlade. <laughs> <laughs> question or answer? Question. Very question. Yes. Um... I'm a, I'm a fly fisherman. Oh, yeah. And I, I often fish late at night. Mm. And no matter how strong the wind's been in the day, it always seems to just die down as the light goes. Yes. And I just wonder why. Pressure. Well, I could have said that myself. Why well, did you ask the weather girl? Pressure. Under pressure. Go on. It's pre- why well, does light affect pressure? It's not light, it's heat. The sun is not just a light, my friend. It is also uh, an enormous source of heat. Okay. So how does it work, then? Pardon? How does it actually work? That's how not what you asked. No, you just said, why, why does the wind die down in the evening? Because there's no... Because of pressure. Pressure. Pressure is the answer. Pressure. Well, I still don't understand that. Yeah, that's not my fault, mate. It is. Is it? Yeah. All You're right. the font of all knowledge. <laughs> you should give us more information. All right, that. well, wind is caused by movement of air from an area of low pressure to an area of high pressure. Okay. And, and in order to have uh, a large uh, difference between an area of low pressure and high pressure, the area, one or the other, I don't know which, I'm not a flipping genius, one of them gets hotter than the other, right? Okay, so so if you it. take away the source of heat, which is what happens when the sun goes out, 
at the end of the day. You take away the source of heat, you take away the radiator that is increasing the difference between an area of low pressure and an area of high pressure. The difference between the area of low pressure and the area of high pressure shrinks until there's barely any difference at all. Ergo, there's much less or indeed no wind. I am impressed. Are you? I'm, I'm making it up. That one. Well, I'm making it up as I go along, but I, I think I'm right, don't you? Uh, well, it sounds sensible. Because we've had before what causes wind, and we had lots of laughs about cabbage and baked beans, and then we got down to the, <laughs> the then we got down to the brass tacks of what the questioner was really after, and it is the passage of air from an air from high pressure to low, or vice versa. Pressure is going to be determined by heat. Heat is created by sun. Remove sun, remove creation of heat. Remove creation of heat, remove difference in pressure. Remove difference in pressure, remove proliferation of wind. Boom. Crikey, you could have taught me at school. I could have done, yeah. You wouldn't have got any grades or exams, but we'd have had a lot of fun, Mike. I promise you that. Round of applause for me. Thank you, Michael, in Lechlade. Debbie's in Leicester. Debbie, question or answer? Question. Carry on. Go deaf when you yawn. Pardon? Why do you go deaf when you yawn? I don't. No, I do. No, I don't, though. You ask why, why do I go, not go deaf? Why do I go deaf when no, I don't? Why, do, why does one? Oh. Why does one go deaf when they yawn? Um, have you ever used a hose pipe? Sorry? Have you ever used a hose pipe? Not recently, no. No, but in your life? N- yeah. All right, a drinking straw. Have you ever drunk out of a drinking straw? Yes. So when you are sucking your fluid up your straw, what would happen if you pinched the straw? You, do you know the answer, then? Well, let's find out, shall we? I'm on a bit of a roll at the moment. <laughs> you are on the roll. So what would happen when you're drinking your cola or your baby sham through a straw? <laughs> if you squeeze the straw, what happens to the supply of liquid I reaching your mouth? Death. What? I don't go deaf. I do not go deaf. No, no, no. You've got to come with me on this journey, Debbie. <laughs> OK? So what happens okay. when you squeeze the straw? Does it make, what does it do to the flow of liquid reaching your mouth? Well, it stops it. Well, not entirely. You're just squeezing it a little bit. You're not squeezing it completely. So you, the, the more you squeeze, the less liquid reaches... Well, it just makes a funny noise. Yeah, the, the, forget about sound for the minute. We're talking about straws. So the more okay. you squeeze the straw, the less fluid, the less liquid reaches your mouth, right? That's true. Think of your ear canal as a straw. OK. And when you yawn, you squeeze it. OK. Boom! I've done it again! No, you haven't! What? That's... No, you haven't. Yes, I have! No, you haven't. Why not? Because you haven't answered my question. I... Why do you go deaf when you yawn? Because you're squeezing your ear straws. How? How when I open my mouth, it goes... It, my ears go... Think, think, open your mouth. So the mouth opens, somewhere in your head, something's got smaller in relation to how big your mouth's just got, and that is your ear straw. OK. Oh, OK. Do you see? Um, I'll take your word for it. And it's why you can pop your ears when you're on a plane by yawning as well. It's physics. Um, you sound so quiet on the phone. So what on the phone? So so quiet, more quiet on the well, phone. Well, stop yawning. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> Am I going to get a round of... I've already had a round of applause. Did no, I... no, 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 no. What? No. What? No. What? No. Yes. No. Why? No. What? No. Please? No. All right, put that one back in the box. Debbie wants to know why she goes deaf when she yawns. Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three. I'll tell you now, if it's not ear straws, I'll eat my hat. Jazz is in Brighton. Jazz, question or answer? It's a question, James. Carry on, Jazz. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Okay. How lovely to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my question is, yes. I sometimes buy antique books 
um, in musty old shops. And uh, some of the books, when I bring them home, have a very musty odour to them. Yes. So how do I get rid of this? Is there some way of getting rid of the odour of antique books? That is one of my favourite questions of all time. This, this must be just about... How do I get rid of the musty odour on my antique books? Yes. What have you tried? Have you tried anything? No, I haven't tried anything, because I, I don't want to ruin them by... Well, uh, that's the danger. Them. I can see why you're worried about that. I can see why you're yes. worried about that. I, um... I, I, it's damp, isn't it, that causes... It's mildew that causes it. Mildew and damp. Yes. Well, possibly. I just think of popping them into a plastic bag. Um, Hard to read. And then putting in some uh, lavender oil or something. Oh, and then leaving them there for about a month or so. And then when you take them out, they might smell fresh again. Well, they might just smell like, um, you know, musty with a, with a top note of lavender. <laughs> a bit like when you've... When you've used the air freshener in the in the bathroom, no, well, well don't, don't do that. Come, that's just not nice. All right, so I will. Fi- you want to know? From I mean, we, ideally, we'll just get an antiquarian bookseller on who will tell us how he actually gets rid of the gets rid of the smell of musty old books. Excellent. I mean, like you, James, I'm clutching at straws. We are all clutching at straws, Jas, but some of us, some of us are getting a drink as well. <laughs> it's twelve forty-five. Ten minutes to one. You're listening to James O'Brien on LBC. I'm always a little bit embarrassed doing stuff like this, but I'm going to do it anyway because so many of you have asked. My introduction to the conversation in the last hour about Boris Johnson's uh, heinous assault upon the taxi trade um, has been put into a sort of little package. So if you want to listen to it again or play it to someone else, a few few, few drivers in particular wanting to make sure their colleagues can hear it, just just head over to the LBC website. Or indeed, follow me on Twitter. Um, if you follow at Mr James O'B, it's the last thing that's been tweeted from my account. Back to Mystery Hour. Michael's in Gravesend. Question or answer, Michael? Can I answer, James? Carry on, mate. Um, it's the four candles um, <laughs> uh, question. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that at the time. Go on. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. It made me buckle in the car. Um, yeah, now, what it is, is um, the knives and forks have to be fit to purpose. You see, with a knife, we're using a thin blade to cut through meat or whatever we're cutting through. And yes. with a fork, we're using prongs to pierce. Yes. Um, but with the opposite end of the cutlery, we're using the weight of our arms and hands and our strength to hold them. Yes. And um, to cut through that tough bit of meat or, or whatever we're cutting through. So, therefore... Yes. Um, to be fit for purpose, they need to be heavier on the other side. So, I mean, uh, you, you, you're just giving it the straight design. That's the most optimum design. Is there not also an element of balance involved when you've got food on your fork? If it, if it was weighted at the other end, it would drop out of your hand every time. Well, there is that as well, probably. It's a ba- um, des- I mean, it, it's optimum design for balance and effective use. I mean, to, 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 get, to get it as weighted on the, uh, the business end, as it were, Yes. Um, you'd have to uh, have it... Um, Maybe crafted by a Japanese blacksmith who's going to fold the metal like three thousand times. It'd be very hard to do. Oh, of course, you're right. Yeah. What? Well, oh, mate. God, because you kept saying fit for purpose. I, got, I was getting. I thought you were sort of. I thought. Well, I'm not going to lie to you, Michael. I thought you were slightly dodging the question, but you're not at all. How could it no, possibly be heavier at that end when there's a load less metal? Hmm. It's really that simple. It is. You want teens? They're called teens, aren't they? Pardon? The prongs are called teens. T i g n e s. Oh, there, I didn't know that. Yeah, you do now, you I'm see. I'm so much an expert in it. <laughs> I thought I was about to ask what else you know about cutlery. <laughs> so, just that I've been using it for 35 years. So have I! It's such a small world! <laughs> <laughs> Qualifications? 
I've been using for yeah, there you go, though. Give him a round of applause. Of course it's going to be lighter at the other end, because there's a lot less mess, because you've had to make it thinner so that you can cut stuff. You de- oh, I can't believe we... Matt's in Putney. Question or answer, Matt? Uh, it's a steward inquiry, James. What? Uh, your answer about the um, going deaf when you yawn. Ear straws. Um, I'm afraid I'm an audiologist, and I know better. <laughs> you... well, go on, then. Why, 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 do, why, do, why do we go deaf when we yawn? Well, you're partly right in that when you open your mouth wide, it does change the shape of your ear canal slightly. Thank um, you. But the main reason is that uh, when you yawn or when you swallow your eustachian tube, which connects your nasopharynx to your middle ear cavity and is normally closed, opens to equalise the air pressure in your middle ear cavity, and that will have a bearing on your hearing as the air pressure changes. It's still ear straws, though. It's a completely different straw, though. Yeah, but it's... I mean, I, yeah. All right. Oh, all right, then. Go on, give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> audiologist, does that... So you work with hearing aids and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a, a hearing aid audiologist. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I, I, there's no way I can win this argument, is there? No, I'm afraid not, mate. Sorry. That's all right. No, it's good for me. It's good for my. It's good for me to have it, that. It was a good attempt. Thank you. Way. Thank you. It was quite amusing as well. I mean, I, I thought bringing yeah. straw, but but obviously, just wrong. Well, partly right. Oh, bless you, <laughs> Matt. Mind how you go. Caroline is in Kilburn. Caroline, question or answer? Oh, it's an answer. All right. It was to the lady who was worried about her book. Jazz in Brighton with her musty antiquarian books. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it worked for books, but what, what I do with. What I do with old clothes that I've bought from second-hand shops and junk shops, if you stick them out in the sunlight, it gets rid of the musty, mildewy smell. There's some sort of... You could just wash them. Um, no, it doesn't work. That doesn't, doesn't it? work. Apparently something to do in the sun's rays, I don't know if it's EVA or UVB, whatever it is, it um, kills, it reacts with the bacteria and gets rid of it. Really? Yep. So if it works on clothes, the problem is I can't. We can't go definitive on this because you've only done it with clothes. You've never done it with a book. Yes, but books and antique books be made of leather. I've done it with leather jackets. Yeah, but it's paper. It's paper. You haven't done it with paper. I've not done it with paper. No, but why not give it a go? Yeah, well, I mean that's fine. But you've, this isn't advice hour. This is mystery <laughs> hour. We're supposed to be solving mysteries, not offering possible answers to possible problems. Yes, well, I think it's a good one. I think it would be. Back but up. I think it's a good one as well. But it's not an answer to the question. Oh, I wish I'd. Oh, I've got some antique books in my flat that do smell mouldy, and I wish I'd taken them out and tried it myself. But I could, unfortunately, on a day like this, it's not going to work. No, that's very true. I, don't, I can't. I'm just going to check. I can't. I can't give a round of applause for this. So, well, this works on clothes. I mean, that, you, we're literally not comparing apples with pears, are we? No, but apples the principle is the same. You, you, no, it might be, but you may. Yeah. Paper is not clothes. Yes, but the leather backing. Would no, be all right. Nice. So jazz can go away with an idea that might work, but you can't have a round of applause until we know for certain that it does work. That, uh, I, I agree with that. That's right. that a fair point. Fair, thank you, Caroline. Thank you. you don't think I'm being unduly stentorian and strict. No, but I think that other people out there would be pleased to hear my tip if you do happen to see a lovely leather jacket in a second-hand shop and want to get rid of the smell. Y- yeah, OK. Uh, if you want to get rid of a smelly, smelly jacket smell, then stick it in the sunlight. But be careful. <laughs> it doesn't rain or get nicked. 
Yeah, well, if you live in Kilburn, I wouldn't leave it out the front door, that's for sure, to make sure you have your own back garden. <laughs> <laughs> I can give you a round of applause for being lovely, but not for answering the question, all right? Right. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Helen's in Hampshire. Question or answer, Helen? It's an answer, James. Carry on. Hi there. Um, I want to correct you on your... Oh, here we go again. Yeah, all right. Well, what is this? Everyone's been waiting for the last five minutes to come and have a pop at the presenter, is it? <laughs> That's it. All right, then. Carry on. Steward's um, inquiry. Yes, it's Steward's inquiry. Why does the wind die down at night? Your Pr pressure. Um, the pressure does the large scale... Uh, and the air straws. The air straws yeah. as well. <laughs> but um, the, the reason for it dying down at night is during the day, the sun will create thermal mixing of the lower la layers of the atmosphere which will bring faster moving wind down to the surface. So the surface wind is slowed by friction normally yes. with buildings and terrain. And once the sun disappears, this mixing uh, from the free stream above ceases. And so the, the surface... Why does it come. cease, though? Why does it cease? Um, because the sun causes um, thermals. Yeah, pressure. Mix. Yep. Pressure. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? That's pressure. thermal pressure. Localised pressure. Yes, but it's pressure, yeah. pressure. Really, it's more sort well, of. I suppose, in a way, it's it's the the warm air in contact with the ground will rise, yeah, and, and mix. But it's only the the bottom two thousand feet. Um, yeah, but he's a fisherman. Effective. He's a fisherman, not a skydiver. He's only interested in the bottom <laughs> two thousand feet. <laughs> what, what are your qualifications, anyway? I'm a pilot. Oh, I've been a flying instructor oh, for many years. Oh, marvellous! Oh, <laughs> uh, round of applause for Helen. Thank you very much. Well played. Uh, nicely, nicely done. Uh, Mark's in Bromley. Mark, question or answer? It's a question, please, James. You'll be lucky, mate. Sheila Fogarty, <laughs> she's, she's no, in the you blocks. I'll answer to this, I'm sure. I won't. Um, go on. Yes. Why do they always go on the top right-hand corner of an envelope? Uh, or a postcard? Wherever you are in the world, it always shows the little square for you to place the stamp, top right-hand corner. Well, on, on a postcard, it's a little thing telling you to. Why? Why, why do they Why top to right? I, I why can't. Why anyone? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Top right-hand corner? No? No. No, I'm going to level with you, Mark. We only squeezed you in at the end because Sheila Fogarty wasn't ready. <laughs> as, she, as she is now. <laughs> you have to wait the next week. On, on, on the way, I wouldn't count your chickens. That's it from me for another week. We'll do it all again tomorrow from 10. The next voice you will hear belongs to a ready and able <laughs> Sheila Fogarty. And very